be reading the scripture this morning from the 16th chapter of Judges. If you have a Bible out of the pews, page 267. If you're fortunate to have one of those large print Bibles, it's page 398. Or you can look it up on your special device if you have one of those. Um, I appreciate that the this portion of God's church understands the sacred nature of the scriptures and and what they represent to us to give us uh, a look into the nature of God and and what he's expecting us to do. Judges 16, 1 through 22. And I'm just going to cheat a little and back up a sentence at the end of chapter 15. Verse 20 says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And this section today starts with verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate. Together with the two posts, and he tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sork, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. And now we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So, of course, Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. 
Delilah then said to Samson, Until now you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric of the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled the pin and the loom and the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say you love me when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. May God bless the reading of his word. comes to the final judge. All right, we've been working on this series for a while, uh, and it's been quite a series. I'm ready for something a little more easygoing. So, you know, maybe after we're gonna, it's going to take us two weeks to look at Samson, and maybe after that, you know, we'll just find we'll just sing some "Jesus Loves Me" and, and hold each other's hands and, and just feel good for a little while because this has been some tough stuff, hasn't it? Whew. These judges, and it's been a challenging one to work through. Uh, but I think that we've found that even in the most challenging passages of Scripture, we find truth for our lives, and that's an important reminder to us that when you run across passages of Scripture, that uh, on the surface you think, "Well, what in the world would I do with that for my life?" Well, if you'd spend some time praying and dig a little bit deeper, uh, you can you can find what God 
has to teach you in, the, in His Word, in every book included. And we come to Samson, and we come to this, he's, he's, you know, he's a perfect example of what we've been dealing with. Guys that God chooses to work through, and gals that God chooses to work through that the world probably wouldn't have chosen. Guys and gals who are, are very flawed, have issues. I mean, Samson <laughs> might take the cake on the issues front. He's got issues. But time and again we see that God chooses them and then he uses them for his purposes. How, how can that be? You know, How can a good and perfect God use imperfect people? How can a loving God use such flawed and immoral behavior to even accomplish his purposes? And I say to you, I don't have all the answers for that. I don't know, but I'm glad that God chooses flawed people to work through, or else He wouldn't work through any of us. And I'm gl- and I'm also glad that He chooses poor decisions and actions of people, even violent ones, to accomplish His purposes, or else He wouldn't have used a group of Jewish conspirators. He wouldn't have used Roman soldiers. To put his son on a cross. To die for you and for me. To accomplish his very best purpose of all. In uniting us. Saving us. Making a way for us to be reconciled to our creator. And here we have Samson. You know we've been talking each week about this. Judges cycle, this cycle of sin that the people continually went through and they would turn their back on God and they would chase after these gods of the nations around them and then they'd get themselves into trouble. God would get angry. He would turn them over and say, okay, if you want those gods, you can have those gods and see how that works out for you. And of course it didn't work out well. And the people would come back to God and they would say, oh God, we're so sorry. Come back and and save us again. And he would raise up these judges or deliverers to rescue them. That's the way it's worked every week we've looked at it. And every week it says, then the people chased after the gods of the Ammonites and the, all these different people around them, the Moabites and all the Philistines. and The same cycle again and again, each, each new generation making the same mistakes of their parents' generations. Until we get to Samson. It says that they chased after the Philistine gods Philistines took them over and that was it they no longer had complaints in fact at one point when Samson was stirring up trouble with the Philistines the people of Israel came to him they said don't you realize Samson that the Philistines are rulers over us what have you done to us This time is different. Instead of crying out for someone to rescue them, the people are saying, What are you doing, Samson? You're making things worse for us. We're doing just fine here with the Philistines. And you're messing it up. This case is quite different. Philistines, the the Israelites were, uh, you know, they were feeling all right with this. They're... 
they were getting along just fine with the Philistines. Their ways and their customs were, were doing okay. They uh, appears that they were even marrying into Philistine families and so forth. It's entirely possible that the Israelite people were just a generation or two from being genetically and spiritually extinct as a people. And so God doesn't wait for them to repent. He doesn't wait for them to call out this time. And he chooses Samson from before birth. It's one of the few people that God chooses before they're even born. Sends messengers. Happened to Samson. Happened to, of course, Isaac from Abraham. Happened to Samuel, whose mother prayed for him. and Happened to John the Baptist. Happened to Jesus. And uh, God chose him, and from birth, he was given the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow. You don't hear much about it in scripture but it pops up every now and then it's a vow of the Israelite people that they took when they were to be set apart for God's work in a special way when they were committing themselves to God's work in a special way and it involved at least three things not drinking wine not cutting their hair and not touching dead bodies Interesting vow, huh? <laughs> Samson had this vow from before birth. His, the angel warned his mother to follow these rules while, she was, while he was in her womb. And Samson apparently followed them for a while. But as we'll see, maybe not too consistently. John the Baptist also took the Nazarite vow. Samson's mission what, the way God chose to use him was to drive a wedge between his people and the Philistines because they were just getting a little too cozy together so God sends in the human wrecking ball known as Samson and he stirs up trouble that's his nature that's what he does You know, as we've said, all these guys, they're just imperfect deliverers. Imperfect deliverers, but that foreshadowed a perfect deliverer. As we'll see next week. But this week, we're going to look at an important lesson we learned from the life of Samson. That maybe we don't talk about as much as we should in the church. It has to do with relationships. And this one, especially for, for our young people down here and for anyone who's still in the hunt for a spouse, this is especially an important one for you, but it's also more than that. If you're a new-ish Christian or new to church, this is also an important message for you. And it's important for any of the rest of us to be reminded of it as well. Because when we forget this lesson... 
it's a dangerous one to forget. Let's just say that. Relationships. You know, when I was in high school, I had a crush, as high school guys sometimes do, on this girl named Dana. She was nice. She was really cool. She was... Uh, you know, had the same class schedule as me, so that was good. We took a lot of the same classes together. We got along pretty well, and I thought she was pretty great. I think she probably thought that I was just the you know dirt on the bottom of her shoe or whatever. But uh, we had this crush on Dana, and the only problem was she was an atheist. Now you might say, you know, how in the world do you, future preacher boy? have a crush on an atheist. I mean, that just... But crushes aren't really things we decide on, are they? They're kind of just emotional things. They're, you know, especially in high school, you got all those hormones going on. Crushes, they don't oftentimes make sense, do they? We, We sometimes feel drawn to people that we know we have no business being drawn to, you know? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever liked somebody dated somebody that you knew you probably shouldn't they weren't any good for you but you know it just heart throbbed sorry my my heart's covered by a microphone Uh, you ever have that happen to you or someone you know maybe some of you are being a little bit bashful right now because you married them and (laughs) now you're like what do I do now Uh, maybe we'll have some answers for you today too but this really goes beyond, you know, just crushes and stuff too, doesn't it? I mean, with, with our friends, with groups of friends. I mean, have you ever been, you know, just in a situation where you wanted to be friends with somebody, someone or, or you wanted to be in this group of friends, in this clique or in this, you know. I mean, we see this all the time with students that are drawn into gangs, right? And they're drawn into them. Because it looks cool and it looks like they're going to have support and affirmation and things that maybe they don't get at home. And they're going to feel like they're a part of something that matters and they have each other's backs. And and so they make this decision based on their need, their feeling, their desire for belonging. Even though surely some part of them knows that it's not that good of a thing to do. Now, maybe you've never been tempted to join a gang, per se, but probably you have wanted to be friends with people who made you feel good about yourself, who helped affirm you or just give you some this sense that you belong. Or maybe they just looked really cool, <laughs> drove cool cars, and you just wanted to be a part of that. You know, in each new season of life, even, you know, we think of this a lot of times in terms of, well, our high school students, you know, and our college students and, uh, you know, younger people have to make these calls. But at each season of our life, we have to decide who we're going to be closest friends with. And for a lot of people in our society, they don't really decide, it doesn't seem like. They just go with the flow. They just go with what's easy, you know, and, and if you... If it's easy to be friends with this person, well then they're just going to be friends with that person. 
And this happens, you know, you move to a new city or a new state or you move uh, to a new job or your kid starts playing sports and you're around all those other sports parents. And at each new season of life, you know, you move into a retirement community or just a different neighborhood. There's always a new season of life where new friend opportunities are presented. And more often than not, we don't run those decisions, because they are ultimately decisions, by God, do we? We just go by what is going to make us feel good, what's going to be comfortable for us, And so this message is so important because it reminded Israel and it reminded the early church and it reminds us today that relationships are something we would do well to be purposeful about. We read a few moments ago about the famous story, Samson and Delilah. I mean, about as famous a story from the Bible as you can come by. It's been written into songs, written into scripts and plays and movies and books. I mean, Romeo and Juliet was probably half based on it. (laughs) It's just, we love the story of forbidden love, right? Of the mighty man brought down by beauty. (laughs) Quite a story. But did you know Delilah was not Samson's first forbidden love? Samson had a thing for forbidden love. (laughs) One of his many flaws. And actually, we read in the chapter just before this that he went and he found this Philistine girl and he decided he wanted to marry her. She was just so pretty. Probably so nice. Had to have her. Came home. Commanded his parents that they were to arrange a marriage for him with that Philistine girl. Now that may not raise your eyebrows too high today, but in that day, you didn't go commanding your parents on what they were going to do. But Samson somehow forced them into doing his will. And they arranged this marriage to a Philistine girl. And it says that God actually used that to begin driving the wedge between the Philistines and his people. And you just read about all the violent aftermath that took place because of that relationship he tried to force. Here's what we actually read about it. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. (laughs) And his father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? And you know, they had to be been thinking, I mean, the messenger of God had come to them and said, this Samson is going to deliver you from the Philistines. He didn't say anything about marrying the Philistines. Now, 
is this a race thing, you know? Son, don't go marry that Philistine woman now. It's not, because they include this word, uncircumcised. Circumcision was what set people apart for saying, you know, it was the symbol that said, I'm in a covenant with God. These people were not in a covenant with God. They had their own God, as we'll see next week. So what they're saying is, do you you really want to enter into the most intimate covenant in human relationships with someone who's not at all in a covenant with God? Our God, Samson. To which Samson's response was, just get her for me. Oh, in the aftermath of that, <laughs> he threw a big party, had a big conflict with his Philistine buddies. So then he burned their fields. And they didn't like that too much, so they burned his wife and her father. He didn't like that so much, so he killed a bunch of them. And it escalated and it escalated. And this wedge began to be driven between the Philistines and the Israelites. Then we come to Samson and Delilah. He's, he just doesn't learn this guy. Another Philistine woman. They must have been good looking, <laughs> those Philistines. Oh, Samson, what are you thinking? And you read, you know, the account and, and you think, can anybody be so dumb? I mean, she asked him three times. He told her lies three times. Every time that he lied to her, you know, she tried to have him killed. <laughs> I mean, you know, even if she... At some point, you ought to connect some dots here. You know, hey, I I tell this girl, you know, a lie about how she can take my strength away from me. And then, uh, you know, some Philistines show up and try to kill me. This happened three times, but I guess I'll tell her the truth this time. (laughs) And you think, how could anybody be so dumb? But let's be honest, people. We all know some people who have done some dumb things in love, haven't we? (laughs) A lot of us could raise our hands and say, I've done some dumb things in love. Oh, but this dumb, I mean, that is dumb. dumb. There's dumb and then there's dumb. <laughs> it could be, though, this was brought to my attention as I studied this story this week, that Samson just really had begun to think his strength was his own. It's clear he was addicted to sensual pleasure, and it also seems pretty clear he was addicted to danger. Seemed to have thought that he was pretty much invincible at this point. And why not cut his hair? I mean, you notice, don't you? They cut his hair off. He jumps up. He's got to notice his hair's not there, right? I mean, he's, it's been growing his whole life. <laughs> he stands up. His hair's gone. Something's different. And yet he still thinks he's going to tear him apart just like he always did. That's what the scripture said. Why would he think that? You remember those three things that I told you are part of a Nazarite vow? The letting your hair grow, the not drinking, and the not touching dead animals? 
Well, in that, in the course of his life, he's already broken the first two. He already was having big parties with his Philistine buddies as he was preparing to get married. He's already touched a dead carcass of a lion. That story, you know, I just always wondered, why in the world is that in there? <laughs> you know, he, so he killed a lion and some bees made honey in there and he went and touched it. That's why. Because he wasn't supposed to touch dead animals. And he went and grabbed honey out of a dead carcass of a lion. And that broke one of his Nazarite vows. So what's the big deal, Samson says. You know, I've, I've broken other parts of my vows and I still have my strength. So perhaps that explains why he did what he did to some degree. Addicted to danger. Addicted to love. And the belief that he was invincible. His strength was his own. He was in for a rude awakening. You know, the other really appropriate thing about this story is that it's representative of Israel's bigger problem. Because in a sense, all of Israel was in relationship with Delilah. They were giving themselves to the Philistines. And they were being destroyed in the process. They were losing their identity as a people of God. They were choosing those furthest from God to be closest to them. And it was destroying them. And that's the lesson that we learn from Samson and Delilah. Choosing those furthest from God to be closest to you can destroy you. Choosing those furthest from God to be closest to you can destroy you. This is a lesson that you can bet was handed down from generation to generation after Samson. This was a lesson that the New Testament church needed as well. And if the people of God needed it in the old times, and the people of God needed it in the new times, then you can bet that we need it now as well. This reminder that choosing those furthest from God to be closest to you can destroy you. The Apostle Paul taught this lesson very explicitly. He wrote to the Corinthian church, and let's just read some of his words. This comes from the message translation. Just puts it very plainly in our language. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling around with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are. Each of us a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I live in them. Move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. 
I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. It's a clear reminder that those those furthest from God, if we choose them to be closest to us, can destroy us. Can destroy our faith. Now this message, like I say, I I don't feel like it's taught very often in our churches these days. And maybe part of it is because I think there is a, a push to be outreach minded. And to say that, you know, hey, we need to reach out and make friends with the lost to bring them in to a relationship with God. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. In fact, this message is not about not having any friends that are not Christians. In fact, I would say to those of us who struggle to find friends who aren't Christians, we need to work on it. We need to know some people who aren't Christians so that we can have an influence on them. But they should not be our closest friends. And we'll look at why. I mean, let's just look at some practical examples. You know, those of you looking for a spouse... A lot of times, you know, you, you feel like, you know, or, or maybe you're still a ways from looking for a spouse, but you're dating, you know, which is pr- kind of practice, all right? It's real easy, you know, physical attraction does not chemically work its way through your spiritual filter, all right? So you have to do that purposefully. It's easy to be attracted to someone that you necessarily you shouldn't necessarily be attracted to. That's probably going to happen at some point. You're going to want to date somebody. You're going to want to marry someone maybe even that doesn't hold the same faith and values that you do. And you hear that pe- people that say things like, "Well, they'll come around." They might. And you may know someone who, you know, got in one of those relationships and they did come around but they might not and you might come around to their way of thinking and I can tell you story after story as well of people who you know dated the rebel but he started coming to church and turned his life around I knew one lady from northeast Louisiana met her in California and her story was she dated this guy and he started going to church with her and saying and doing all the right things and on their honeymoon told her I hope you don't expect me to keep going to church with you. Hope you don't expect me to keep doing all that God stuff. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that it tells you to go out and seek a romantic relationship for the purpose of being a missionary to that person. On the contrary, we find reminder after reminder like Samson's. Or it's warned against. Another one that you'll hear that people will say is, well, they're okay with my faith. And my faith's, you know, a personal thing. It's a personal choice. I love this guy. I love this girl. And they honor my faith. You know, they're going to let me go to church. They're going to let me do whatever I want with my faith. 
and they're going to do their own thing, it's going to be fine. Does it work that way? You know, I mean, <laughs> there, this isn't about religion at, that, at this point, alright? We're not talking about religion. Yeah, if all you want to do is go to church on Sundays, then you'd probably be fine. But if you want a relationship with God, if you want to worship Him with your life, you don't link up with someone who does not worship God with their life. Because they're worshiping other things. And those, when you get married, you start sharing priorities, don't you? Their priorities start becoming your priorities, and your priorities start becoming their priorities. And so, if their priorities are everything but God, pretty soon those priorities are going to creep up in your life, and you're going to be worshiping God and this and that. Good things, maybe, but things that don't deserve that place in your life that only God deserves. And if somehow you manage to stay above all that and to keep God as your first and foremost, be prepared for some blank stares. Because they're not going to get it. And just wait until you want to give money to something that God's asking you to give money to. Or you're wanting to serve extra time during a time when they wanted to go and do something else. Or expected you to be doing something else. See how that goes for you. I want to challenge those in this room who are eligible for dating right now. To commit yourselves. I'm challenging you to commit yourself to being purposeful about who you choose to date. Not just because they make you feel good. Not just because, oh, well, they want to date me and no one else wants to date me right now and I've got to be in a relationship right now. <laughs> be purposeful about who you choose to date. Start committing yourself to that now. And I can tell you from personal experience, it makes a world of difference when you're dating someone and you know that they're praying the same prayers that you are, that God's will be done in your relationship. And there's so much peace that comes with that. Knowing that if it doesn't work out, well, we've both been praying about it, haven't we? And if it does work out, we've both been praying about it, haven't we? Oh, it makes a world of difference. Not just who you marry, but who you date. It makes a world of difference in your life. Start being purposeful now. And if you have to, if you have to fall for some guy or girl that is no good for you and you know it, then just do what I do and what I did <laughs> in that, when I was in high school and write some sappy poems about it. <laughs> Probably wrote a sad love song about, oh, I could never be with this girl, you know. It was pitiful. Just do that. <laughs> You'll get past it. <laughs> what about, let's move beyond the romantic thing again. And I want to talk especially to new Christians or new to church people. If you still consider yourself relatively young in your faith, new to faith, if 
Especially, you know, if you lived most of your life not being a Christian. And then now you've become a Christian. That's a tough spot to be in. Because you have some really old friends. That really don't care about God. And I want to challenge you. To distance yourself. I'm not saying to write them a note and say, we can't be friends anymore. (laughs) No. Or to just cut them off completely, although maybe there's some cases where that needs to happen because the influence is that strong. I'm thinking of like cases where, you know, you're fighting an addiction and being around that friend is going to make you fall back into that. You might have to cut some relationships off. But for the most part, we're just saying... That if you try to become a new, if you try to start following Christ, if you try to start growing in your faith, maturing in your faith, but you're keeping the same old network of friends that you've always had, you're not going to see much progress. That's just how it is. And that's why God gave us the church. Because He knew that our closest friends need to be those who are closest to God. We need people who are running the same direction in the race as we are to support us, to encourage us. Because we're fighting the same battles. We're trying to go in the same direction. So we need each other. So for new Christians, especially, you have to make the effort to make some new friends. And for all of us at each new season of life, we're faced with that question again and again. Each new job, each new season, each, you know, when you retire, every season, you're faced with the decisions of who are going to be your closest friends. And today's message from God's Word challenges us to make. Christian friends, our closest friends. Otherwise, it's going to be an uphill battle. So I want you to think about these questions, and these reflection questions are written on your card. Some of you have already filled in your blanks, no doubt. But think about, if you're really honest... Are there any relationships you need some distance from? Just put some brain power to that. That if you're really honest with yourself, are there any relationships? This is tough. This is tough because, you know, we build friendships. And the idea of distancing ourselves from these friends that have been some of our, in many cases, some of our most loyal friends for a long time. But if we're just honest about it, we know they're holding us back in our faith. And we need some new close friends. So are there any you need distance from? And also be honest with yourself on this one. Do you need some new Christian friends? Do you need some people who you're around regularly who are going to encourage your faith? We live in a society, you know, where it's 
I just posted on, uh, maybe you saw yesterday on, on Facebook, you know, the 12 reasons that this pastor left sporting events for good, you know, and it was things like the seats were too hard, and they asked for money every time you went, and, you know, it was just real tongue-in-cheek, funny reasons. But, you know, we live in a, in a season of our society, our culture, where church is de-emphasized, and we've talked about that before. That, you know, your, your faith is a personal thing. You don't really have to go to church regularly. You don't really need that to be a Christian. I mean, you've got your Bible on your app or everywhere you go. And, and uh, you know, and you can pray for people no matter where you are. And you can do all these things in your faith without Christian community. And yet that flies in the face of everything God tells us in His Word. And maybe it's partly the church's fault in that we've created this concept where community is, is just coming together and sitting in rows, not instead of circles, you know, and, and just listening and then saying, hey, how about this hot weather? And then we go home. And so maybe part of the fault is ours for not creating more opportunities for deep relationships to be built. But, friends, we all are in desperate need if we want to be serious about our faith, if we want to grow in our faith, if we really want a strong relationship with God, we have to find people who are pursuing that same thing and make them our closest friends. So in this imperfect thing that we call the church, how do we go about making new friends? Well, it's much the same way that you had to do it when you were a kid. I mean, if you just show up to school and you don't join any clubs or you know, get in the choir or the band or the football team or the you know, I mean that's where you make your friends, right? You have to make take an initiative and do something that's really scary the first day that you walk out and to try out for this new team or whatever the case may be. It's scary. But you do it and you end up with some of the best friends of your life. Well, it's the same way in the church. If you just show up at 1045 for a few minutes, you're probably not going to make many friends because we're all standing here in rows, right? And But if you take the scary step of joining a Sunday school class or of, oh, hey, we're going to go serve at Grace Place on August 31st. I'll just pitch that in there. And you sign up to come do that with us. You start getting involved. You start offering to serve in this ministry or that ministry. And you start finding friends. You say to someone after church, hey, let's go eat. Or why don't you come over to my house and eat? Oh, we vastly underestimate the power of sharing meals together and sharing each other's homes together. Why do you think Jesus based so much of his ministry on sharing meals in people's homes? It's powerful. We need to be purposeful about doing it. So I'm going to leave you with this thought. This faith journey that we're on is like a grand adventure. It's the grandest adventure you'd ever be on. It's like climbing Mount Everest. It's like running a marathon, a race. 
Now, if you were literally climbing Mount Everest, would you choose for your climbing buddy someone who was headed down? You wouldn't, would you? Because <laughs> how would that help you get to the top? And if you were running a race, you wouldn't choose someone running the opposite direction. We know this. And so I just want to challenge you. Be real honest with yourself. Do I need to distance myself from some old friends? Do I need to be purposeful about making some new Christian relationships? Because as we spur one another on in our faith, it's then and there that we'll be equipped to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community to a world that's lost and broken. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great wisdom, practical insight that we find in your word. Lord, we confess that sometimes we're not as purposeful with our life choices as we should be. Holy Spirit, help us to be honest with ourselves today. And help us to be purposeful about our relationships. That they might honor you and glorify your name. Amen.